listening to Dano's Ones and O's. This is a podcast about popular music, albums, recording, guitars, and music. And this is episode three of the Ones and O's. Uh, earlier episodes, we talked about my most influential albums that I listened to, and I talked about albums from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And in this episode, I'm going to a period in time when lightning struck three times in less than two months of really, really excellent music. This is the 80s, the dawn of the 1980s, a great decade for music. And so... I'm going to uh, turn down Franz Ferdinand in the background here and start talking about a very influential period in my life. And so, uh, at the right at the right before the turn of the 1980s, I was already into a lot of punk and new wave and garage bands and whatnot. And uh, the albums that influenced me in the 80s, I still listen to continually and right before the dawn of the 80s this is in December of 1979 I was listening to FM radio in New York late at night and this was early December and the disc jockey Vin Skelsa who is very well known and very very knowledgeable about music, started playing a new album from The Clash that was not in the record stores. So this is December of 1979. And rather than play one track or one song, he played about half of the tracks on this double album. And I knew I already liked The Clash. Their first album was a great uh, punk uh, collection of singles, I would say, that came out in 76 or 77. Their second album, not my favorite album of theirs, but Vin Skelsa came on with this album, London Calling, in December of 79, and played it on late night FM radio in New York City, WNEW. And boy, did this affect me. And so many of you might know Songs from there, such as the title track, London Calling, or Train in Vain. I'm going to play the song that Vince Skelsa played to me about Montgomery Clift. And this is a song called The Right Profile about Montgomery Clift and his car crash. And boy, Vince Skelsa told the whole history of this car crash. And did it ever affect me? Great tune called... The Right Profile by The Clash. Say, where did I say this time? In the Red River. Or a place in the sun. Maybe the Misfits.
can stream Hustlers rustle and pimp pimp the beat Money cliff is recognized at dawn Ain't got no shoes who's at all Cut the applause and dim the light Money's face is broken on a wheel Is he alive? Can he still feel? The Clash, Joe Strummer singing, uh, Mick Jones on guitar, Paul Simonon on bass, and Topper Hedren on the drums there. And that was December 1979, London Calling, an album that completely influenced me. Um, And in following years, that was the first tour that I saw them play. I saw them at the Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey, but uh, also in the following year, uh, following summer, uh, my friend Dave and I went to see them at Bonds in New York City, and that was also a very influential moment for me. Uh, One thing I remember from the show was the clash got on after midnight, and my friend and I 
uh, it was general admission. We pushed to the front. We, you know, we were online early. I think we were online for 12 hours or so. And uh, we got to the front row. And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't been drinking any alcohol or any drugs or anything, but uh, just the heat of the summer and dehydration, uh, I think, and, you know, pogoing around to the, I think, three warm-up bands. And then uh, the clash came out, and it was as if somebody turned the colors on the TV set off, and then uh, I passed out, right, as the clash were coming on. I heard the first few opening bars of the first song and I remember coming back from passing out and uh, somebody yelling don't let him sleep he's on drugs he's on drugs I was not on drugs I was dehydrated but they passed me over the plywood barrier and I got to see the first five or so songs from behind the security barrier I was 10 feet closer than anybody else at the show except for the bouncers who you know helped me get over the wall anyway my little personal story about seeing the clash up close and I've seen them uh, I think I think I've I saw them four or five times so that was good and the whole album is full of great songs uh, completely listenable front to back and that was also when the clash kind of got out of just the punk mode and started getting into other genres. And so, you know, there's horns on the album, there's uh, kind of ska sounding songs and, um, you know, reggae influence and whatnot. And so that was a great album. So I'm going to go into another song from The Clash. And this one was originally meant to end the album. Uh, but it was, they put a secret track, Train in Vain, uh, that's not on the album cover, and uh, that ended up uh, ending the album. But this song is just a great song. Uh, it was not written by The Clash, though. It was written by uh, Danny Ray and um, Jackie Edwards, and... It was just released a year or so before The Clash covered it. But uh, I just think this is, you know, Joe Strummer, who died in 2002, by the way, uh, just singing so well. And, you know, Mick Jones playing great guitar. The, the Clash is really sounding good here. So here's uh, Revolution Rock by The Clash, a very joyous song by The Clash. Bye. 
like Kyle, all he did was blind. He poured your beer in me hot. Keep my good eye on the beat, living on the station street. I ain't got no time for that. Hey, everybody smash up your seat and rock to this brand new beat. This is music, mash up the nation.
All right, there's the clash there, and I just love how Joe Strummer's just riffing at the end, uh, taking requests now in the bandstand, El Clash Combo, and uh, just the, uh, the shout and response where uh, he's just riffing, Ula, 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 and I guess this Mick and the other band members responding, Ula, Ula, Ula. Oh, it's just such a great influential song. And that album I first heard in December of 79. Well, at that time, uh, I was really getting into oh, the Boomtown Rats and all these singles that were out then and uh, really enjoying music. But within a month, this next album hit. And I'm sure many people know the artists, the pretenders. And this song came out in January. No, I'm sorry. It came out late December of 79. So it was within two weeks of The Clash London Calling being released. And this album was just fantastic. Chrissy Hind, lead vocalist, with her perspective and her writing and Boy, if you read her autobiography, Reckless, uh, it is just chock full of stories and uh, amazing rags to riches story for her and uh, her life. And oh my God, I guess I'll talk more. But first, this song uh, is not the most popular. I'm that Brass in Pocket was the highest charting song of this album, the debut album by Pretenders, called Pretenders. But this song is Chrissy Hind with great writing. Uh, it's called Kid, and it is a story about how a child finds out that his mother is a prostitute, and he gets sad from it, and the mother lead singer here is trying to cheer up the kid but it's written in a way that you can also take it as a relationship where one partner is cheering up the other but uh, here are the pretenders with a song from their first album of December 79 uh, this is called Kid <laughs> Forgive. You don't understand 
the Pretenders from the early 80s or the eve of the 80s, December 1979 with Kid. And if you read Chrissy Hines' autobiography, Reckless, um, at this point she left Akron, Ohio, moved to London, and unfortunately she was raped and she discusses that in her book, and it's a very heart-wrenching story. And so imagine writing a song about uh, a mother being a prostitute. I just uh, think uh, this is some very influential writing. It certainly influenced me. And um, let's give credit to the other band members uh James Honeyman Scott, who plays great twangy lead guitar here, and Pete Farndon, who plays bass. Both of those guys died in the 80s from drug abuse. And then uh, Martin Chambers on drums, and Martin still plays drums for Pretenders, and Chrissy still sings, and they were in Austin City Limits on a live tape show that is very excellent. And they have a brand new album. So Pretenders still influencing me. And so now one more from the Pretenders. Oh, by the way, let me talk about the sound of this album. If you have it on vinyl, the sound quality really stinks. And if the best bet, you know, it's just too low. And you turn it up and then you hear a lot of noise and whatnot. But they remastered it and re-released it later on. And that is the version to get. It sounds much more bright and lively, and it's just uh, one of those great records with the original poor production quality. Sounds much better now. And so with that, I will jump to another song from Pretenders, uh, also written by Chrissy Hind, and just a very good, energetic song. Uh, This is the end of the album. And so many good songs on this album, but this is the ending and uh, just a really good wind up build up. This song is called Mystery Achievement. Every time I thought 
pretenders with mystery achievement and just the writing again just strikes me influences me mystery achievement where's my sandy beach i had my dreams like everybody else but they're right out of reach so that's chrissy hind and pretenders all right so two albums 
great albums within one month. And then this next album comes out in February 1980. And this album certainly influenced me. First of all, this is an artist that really influenced me. This is Elvis Costello and the Attractions. This album was their was Elvis's fourth album. And I remember Elvis influencing me in 1977 when I had an album in my collection I didn't like. It was Rush 2112. And I, you know, I was kind of listening to progressive rock music at the time and a friend I remember one class I had in 77 where the teacher uh, had some music magazines in the classroom that you could read if you were done studying. And I saw this advertisement for Elvis, My Aim is True. And I had a friend who bought that album and he didn't like that album. So we made a swap, and I swapped Rush 2112 for My Aim is True. And uh, so Elvis was a definite favorite for me. And uh, the first three albums I liked immensely. They could have easily fit the slot for influential albums for me. But I picked my favorite Elvis album, and this is Elvis kind of expanding his capabilities and getting into different kinds of music. Um, and this Get Happy album sounds just like a Motown or a Stax album. And I think that was the influence on Elvis because there is a great song on the album I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down, which was written by Stax artists Homer Banks and Alan Jones. And I love that song. I play that on guitar, have played it live, and I love singing it. But I'm going to play an Elvis song for you. Uh, and then this one is kind of more uh, introspective and less danceable than the rest of the album, which has 20 hit tracks on it, but this is a song, uh, B-movie, and listen to the great bass line on this, um, just great bass line, and then the drums uh, on the slapback echo, just coming back and forth, so this song here is uh, B-movie by Elvis.
That's Elvis Costello and the Attractions, uh, B-movie from the album Get Happy, which came out in February of 1980. And that also has uh, Steve Naive on keyboards, uh, Bruce Thomas playing the bass there, and Pete Thomas on drums there, and a very good-sounding uh, bass line that's also doubled listen carefully you'll hear it doubled up on the guitar don't listen to the chording of the second guitar track but listen to the guitar mimicking the bass line which is just fantastic any my hat is off to anybody who can play that um so and also at this time a very influential time you might remember december of 79 Elvis appeared on Saturday Night Live. Elvis and the Attractions. And uh, the Sex Pistols were supposed to play, but they couldn't play. And then Elvis got on live TV, and it was a very famous clip. You have to go watch it because, uh, you know, Elvis starts off on one song and then switches to the other, and then he was kind of disinvited from coming to Saturday Night Live until many, many years later, just for doing that unchoreographed switch-up. So anyway, back to the album Get Happy, and now we're going to play another song from Get Happy, and again, just fantastic work by all members of the group. Uh, this song, uh, I guess, later became a movie title um, and uh, has some great lyrics in it. So uh, discussing more after listening to High Fidelity by Elvis Costello and the Attractions.
Okay, Elvis Costello and the attractions from 1980s Get Happy. What a fantastic record. And again, top-notch bass work by Bruce Thomas. Unfortunately, Bruce Thomas and Elvis Costello have had a falling out. Um, You can read two versions of what they think about each other. Uh, Bruce Thomas wrote his own autobiography and history of uh, the era, um, and the that name of that book is uh, Rough Notes, and that's a good autobiography in history that uh, details a lot of the tours and uh, a lot of the music. Uh, you can also read Elvis Costello's version. Elvis has his own autobiography that was released uh, a year or two ago um, that was called Unfaithful Music, 2016. Uh, Elvis has a very long career of many studio albums, uh, many live recordings. Elvis's autobiography is equally uh, detailed and long, so that's a big, long read. Uh, But there's a third biography, which is possibly the reason for the split. Both gentlemen remain enigmatic about why they dislike each other. Uh, They do compliment each other, and they do snipe at each other occasionally, underhandedly. But there was another book by Bruce Thomas, and it was written um, with a pen name. So you have to look for the book, The Big Wheel. And it was written by Bruce Thomas, but it was also written in a... It was deemed to be a fiction book, but and that the characters are written in the third person. So uh, the the singer and the drummer are characters in the book. Bruce Thomas claims it's a fiction work, but it is definitely uh, his thoughts about the group. And maybe he wrote about the group in third person because he didn't want to offend them, and he certainly offended them. <laughs> But anyway, Bruce Thomas, great bass line, and Steve Naive on keyboards, and uh, also uh, the other Thomas on (laughs) drums. No relation. Uh, They both have the last name Thomas. And uh, but anyway, there you go, Elvis and Pete Thomas. I'm sorry, the name escaped me. Okay, so those three albums completely influenced me in the 80s and happened within two months, all in a space of two months, from December, mid-December, the release of London Calling, and then two weeks later, right before the turn of the decade, uh, Pretender's first album, and then a month, within a month, Elvis Costello, Get Happy, fantastic albums. All right, now I'm going to switch over. This album influenced me in the middle 80s. It came out in 1984, so it didn't happen in the same two months, but this album was released by Malcolm McLaren, and uh, people who like the sex people, sex people, the sex pistols, know Malcolm McLaren as his 
their manager and for his stunts that he pulled with them and his audacious things he said while working with them. Malcolm McLaren also was manager for the New York Dolls, and he helped the New York Dolls achieve their crazy looks and crazy get-up in the 70s. But by 1984, Malcolm McLaren had success on his own. He had two, I would say, hits with his solo works. And so he had came out with an album called Duck Rock, which was a mix of hip-hop and rapping and square dancing. So if you ever hear the hit tracks by uh, Malcolm McLaren, uh, Buffalo Gals and Double Dutch, which you can see them on YouTube, those were his first solo hits, I would say. And uh, he was also helped out by... um, Trevor Horn, who was with The Buggles at the time, which is a fantastic album, and boy, some great sounding collaboration between Trevor Horn and Malcolm McLaren. But this came later, another crazy experiment by Malcolm McLaren. He decided he was going to mix up opera and rap. And so... Here is a song from the 1984 album, Fans, that influenced me. I had been a long lover of opera. I think uh, I can thank my mother and father for listening to it, and I heard it in the house. And I can also thank my grade school music teacher for pulling me into an opera, a community theater opera, A Mall in the Night Visitors, when I was just in fourth or fifth grade, and I was Amal, the lead character. uh, So I loved opera. And so here is a mix of opera and hip-hop and rap. And this is from the album Fans. This is a well-known opera by Puccini, Madame Butterfly. But here's Malcolm McLaren's version of Madame Butterfly. Take it away, Jojo. 
And there you have Malcolm McLaren with his version of Madame Butterfly. And believe it or not, the opera, uh, you hear the aria going in the background, that was actually recorded for this album. So along with the other tracks, there's also Carmen, Turandot, several other Puccini operas in there, but that was recorded in Massachusetts uh, at the Unitarian Church in Belmont. And so that is a live performance of the songs. And you hear how Malcolm McLaren takes his time with that song and mixes the, uh, you know, hip-hop electric electronic drum and the rap and the opera. And that, if you don't know the... Um, story of Madame Butterfly, really, go take some time when you're feeling contemplative. And the story of Madame Butterfly is that uh, Lieutenant Pinkerton, this is 1904, he sails to Japan and meets uh, a woman uh, who, as you hear from the song, He calls her Chocho-san. Chocho is the Japanese word for butterfly. Uh, They fall in love. Pinkerton is not faithful. He goes back to America. He gets married a second time. He really is the crook, the, the horrible person in this opera. He marries a second time. Not after having a kid with Madame Butterfly. And so uh, Chocho-san remains faithful to Lieutenant Pinkerton after he leaves Japan and goes back to the United States. He raises, she has the child and raises the child. Pinkerton has the nerve to return with his wife to Japan several years later. And she is still in love with him. She kills herself. She is fraught with grief and kills herself. And so this song just pulls that all together for me. The rap part tells the story. The vocal, the solo at the end ends on that screaming high note. That is when Madame Butterfly kills herself, and such a good, good rendition of the song. So, thank you, Malcolm McLaren. That was a very valuable, valuable album and influenced me. Uh, It's probably an acquired taste. Maybe you don't like the, uh, you know, operatic style, but that's Debbie Cole. She's the voice of... Uh, Chocho's. Oh, sorry. Debbie Cole is the voice of Chocho San. Betty Ann White is the soprano ending on that killer note. Oh, so well done. Okay. Sorry. I've been going way over time. I'm trying to get these uh, podcasts done in 45 minutes, but I've gone over the time limit. I will not go over an hour. So I thank you for listening to Dan O's Ones and O's. I'm Dan O. Becker. You can get these broadcasts on Active FM or my personal website, 
Oh, it's ActiveFM slash Dano-Becker or on my personal website at danbecker.info. And as I did back in my old radio days, I am going to end with a theme song, The Ventures with Hawaii 5.0. Thank you very much for listening to me. This is Dano's Ones and O's, Dano on the radio. Have a great day and thanks for listening. We'll get you with a new episode in a week or so. (laughs) 